All right. Would you like to stand up? How about that? Stretch out. They turned the air conditioner on, so maybe that'll help you not to go to sleep while I'm preaching. Hopefully it won't bore you to tears. Hey, youngin. Matthew chapter number 27 is where we're going to be starting tonight. Deviate just a little bit, maybe, and give you a couple of things to think about. I was thinking this afternoon and very early this morning, I couldn't quite get settled on a couple of things. I've been giving you a lot of information and a lot of things I've been talking to you about under the assumption that every one of you is saved. Meaning you have had a time in your life where you realized you were a sinner and admitted it. You believed on the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation and you confessed Him as your personal Savior. There's a time in your life you can point back and say that's exactly what I did and I know where I was when I did it. It doesn't require a date or a time stamp but a specific moment in your life. I know I was seven years of age. I know I was in Miami, Florida. I know my dad had finished preaching on hell. I know that there were roast beef, mashed potatoes, and English peas on the plate with gravy and hot biscuits. And I was picking around in there and not really fooling with it much. And I remember my dad saying to me, what's wrong with you, boy? Because if a young boy isn't eating that kind of food, something's wrong with him. And uh, I said, "Uh, Dad, I remember taking a deep breath there. And I said, Dad, I I just don't want to go to hell. It's like I hollered fire. I remember my mama grabbing my brother and sister and then running out, the dog over in the corner taking off running and that kind of thing. And my dad was a a big man and a real athlete. And he reached underneath the table and pulled me over there across that terrazzo floor. I can still hear the chair sliding over there. And he said, well, son, the Bible says you don't have to. And I remember at the corner of that table, he led me to the Lord Jesus Christ that day right then, 60 years ago. But you know what I realized also is, is that oftentimes in the course of my training and learning certain things, that if you haven't signed on the dotted line and if you're not involved as a Christian is concerned, the things I've given to you, while they may work for you in some sort of practicality as far as life is concerned, they do you zero good at all as far as eternity is concerned. You can know all the things in your head that I've already given to you, But if you don't know Jesus Christ, it doesn't do you any good whatsoever. You'll still burn in hell for the rest of eternity. And nowadays that's laughed at and mocked at. I hate to say this, oftentimes even by Christians. Sometimes as Christians we make so light of sin that we act like, oh, well, everybody does it and everybody messes up and everybody fesses up and everybody gets up. Well, everybody doesn't always get up from the mess up. You should get back up, and I agree with everything that was just said to you before. But one of the things you have to recognize is, is the wages of sin is still death. You have to also realize you do reap what you sow. And the Bible also says, even for Christians, if you sow to the flesh, of the flesh you reap corruption. And the Bible says if you continue to do the things that you shouldn't do, and you don't confess it, 1 John 1, 9, not for salvation, but to get back in fellowship, guess what happened? The roaring lion walking about seeketh whom he may devour. He's interested in killing Christians as much as he's interested in killing unsaved people. Yes. Thank you. You can be seated. Matthew chapter 27 shows you the wages of sin. And I'll give you some illustrations tonight. Not something I anymore talk about very much, but maybe it'll illustrate something because I, I see something in modern kids today that disturbs me somewhat. You have a lackadaisical approach to things you ought to naturally be afraid of. You ought to be afraid of things that would cause harm to you or cause you to have fear. You ought to be afraid of things that can cause sins, can scar your life permanently forever. But there's this idea, this attitude of no fear. No fear is not good. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so what happens is, is you lose that fear and sometimes because of God's grace and His mercy and His long-suffering, we get this idea that if we just continue to do it, God's just going to always forgive us. Well, He will forgive you as far as your salvation is concerned, but guess what? Sometimes you still have a price to pay. And I think the lackadaisical approach that you have toward authority and toward the authority of God's Word and toward the, the things that you should naturally fear, I think it's unhealthy for you not to recognize you should have some boundaries in your life. You're not immune. Your, your life is not a video game. 
Your life is not something that you're playing. I, I mean, listen, I, I, I've seen a few things, and I, I hesitate to say this stuff because somebody that hasn't ever done what I did, they're saying, oh, well, he's just bragging or telling war stories or whatever. Well, I got some to tell. I, I don't know what to tell you. The Lord allowed me to see some things and do some things. You don't have to experience them to learn from my experiences. Oftentimes, I've talked to guys that were in uh, different ports of, parts of different conflicts and all, and I'm real interested to talk to them. The ones that were really in it, they never really talked much about it. It's the wannabes that are always talking it, sitting around with microphones and some kind of fancy chair with a little, you know, plastic soldier helmet on and playing all kind of warm games on a video screen and stuff like that. And they've done good to even fire a 30 6 or to be out there shooting a deer, let alone trying to shoot people. But the attitude is, is that I'll get up and just reset the game and I'll start all over again. And it's just points on a board and, and all the blood and the stuff that you see there. It's all just a, it's just a game. It's not a game. It's so serious it caused the Son of God to have to come down here and die for the likes of you and me. Yeah. Yeah. I believe in dying for the right cause. Yes, I signed on to die when I was just turned 19 years of age. I recognized when I put my name on the dotted line, it might cost me my life. I was willing to do that. You said, well, you were just stupid and ignorant. You didn't know any better. Maybe so, or maybe I was sold out to a cause. Maybe that's what Jesus Christ came to do when they wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Maybe when he came down here, he knew right off of Jump Street he was coming down here for the purpose of dying. And he never, ever deviated from what he came down here to do. But you know why he died? He died for the benefit of somebody else. He didn't have to die for himself. He was perfect. But sometimes we make light of that, don't we? The last time you looked back at Calvary and thought about that, man, you know what? I heard this used to be said all the time. It used to be said, believe it or not, in the old-fashioned, old-timey Southern Baptist churches that everybody says are so corrupt and all now. And I agree with you 110%. But back in the old days, Southern Baptists were like a lot of independent Baptists are nowadays. But back in the old days, you know what they used to say? Well, if I was the only person on earth, the Lord would have came and He died for me. Well, you're close to right there. But you would have had to have been the one to put him on the cross. It had been you with the whip in your hand. It had been you with the hairs from his beard in your fist. It would be you that was snarling upon him with your teeth and taking that crown of thorns and beating it down upon his head. It would be you that drove the nails into his hands and into his feet for the things that you've touched and the places that you've been and the intellect that you've messed up and the affections of where your heart is. It would be you that hung him up there. It would be you that would be mocking him, belittling him and making fun of him. That's what your sin did to him. He didn't do it to himself. So I want to try to give you something, maybe just to give you, and for some of you, it'll be a snooze fest. For some of you, it won't affect you at all. It concerns me that at your age, your heart is already so hard. It's almost like a, like a diamond, like an adamant stone. Some of you, your emotions are too much on your sleeve, and some of you, there is no emotion at all. You're like zombies. You have been watching too much stuff. I think your brain has been rewired the wrong way. I think that from an early age, you've been watching too much of this video stuff and all and as a result of that your brain synapses don't connect the way that they're supposed to and so when you hear things that should move you you're just like whatever and you notice right now you have really strange things going on. People acting all kind of weird and mass shootings and crazy stuff like that. And look at the last one that they just had up in Chicago. And people wonder, they say, what happened to the guy? If the guy doesn't even know whether he's a guy or a girl, is it any wonder that he took an automatic weapon and tried to kill somebody? And killed a bunch of people? He's whacked out. Why doesn't somebody say that? They have pictures of him dressed up as a transvestite. And listen, none of the preachers are going to get upset at me for telling you that or for saying queer. You say, why? We're not out here in the world worried about what your school is teaching you, but they can't really help it. Listen, God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, and He made you to look in the mirror and see your plumbing and know whether or not you're a male or a female. There ain't no in-between. There's something wrong with you if you're thinking, well, I'm just not really sure. And the more I, I sit here, I, I feel like there's a woman inside me. Well, I tell you what you do. Get her out if you're a male. You say, why? It's Jezebel. Trust me when I tell you. And she ain't got no business trying to tell you what to do. Amen. It won't be long before you'll be walking with a swish and talking with a lisp. Amen. 
Amen. And you'll be like, oh, can we go to sewing class today? Was there anything wrong with sewing? You can do all the sewing you want to after you tear your britches with an axe or a shovel in your hand. And if all of a sudden your voice comes down a couple of octaves and you all of a sudden take an affinity for brogans, clod hoppers, big giant boobs, right? And baggy jeans. Hey, how you doing? You know what you better do? Something moved in. You weren't intended to be that way. I don't care if you wear brogans. I mean, I know some girls. My wife, she looked good in brogans and overalls. But she's all woman. You hear me? I'm, I'm, are you hearing me? Why are you getting nervous about that? You're a woman. You ought to own it. There used to be this, I am woman, watch me roar. Now it's like, I am uncertain. Let me purr or bark. I don't really know. I, I'm a cat. No, I'm a dog. Maybe I'm a fish. That might be good. I have an uncertainty. I'm not real sure about what I really am. What insanity! People that are supposed to be teaching you are telling you they don't even know what you are. It's kind of like, I, I know what I am. I, I can check the plumbing. I don't need anybody. I don't even need a doctor to tell me I know what I am. Animals know what they are. The absolute insanity of this. And so people say to me, they say, why do you think that's happening? Because we live in a sin-soaked, sin-cursed world. So part of what happens at youth camp sometimes is, is we have to recognize that even as Christians we've gotten a little loose. Getting a little too close to the cotton. We're starting to kind of condone things that should be shut down. We're kind of excusing things. And nice, we're, we're a little too nice when it comes to sin. I don't believe you have to be a jerk. I really don't. I don't think you have to be ungentlemanly to be a Bible believer. I don't think you have to be a weirdo, oddball, freakazoid, you know, blue jeans and bobby socks. I don't, I don't believe that. But I do believe that at times, you know what you have to learn to do? You have to learn to hate sin and you have to learn to put up the thing and say, you know what, that's what killed my Savior and I take offense to that. I don't know why you don't open your mouth when it comes to those things. Nope, don't believe that. They ain't right. They ain't doing it. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Come on. But when your friends do it, it's like, well, you know, I mean, they can't really help it. Yeah. And they won't help it as long as you keep condoning it. Yeah. Are you right there in Matthew 27? Let's just walk through the passage here. We'll do it expositorily and maybe just show you a couple of things. I'll give you a couple of illustrations. I'll tell you a couple of war stories and you can do with that whatever you want to do with that. But I want you to just pause a moment tonight and I want you to look inward. And I want you to think about everything that we've talked about up to now. Cast that aside for a minute and let's just you and Jesus have a come to Jesus moment. Not just at Calvary for salvation, but when you face Him at the judgment seat of Christ. How about the sin in your life? Not your brothers and not your sisters. How about where you are? What is your attitude toward you doing wrong tonight? If the Lord were to come down right now and put His finger on your heart and say to you, Hey, I'm talking to you. Thou art the man. Would you respond like Saul and say, It was the people? Or do you respond like David and say, you got me? David is a man after God's own heart. And Saul is always blaming somebody else. His environment or the people or the people that were chasing after David or the people that liked David better than him. It was always an excuse for Saul. But David, you know what he said? He committed adultery and murder, and those are horrible things. God punished him for his pride more than he did with about four people wind up dying there, four sheep for a sheep there in that situation. But when he numbers Israel, God punishes him for his pride by killing 70,000 people. But you know what he says about him? He's a man after mine own heart. You say, why? When he messed up, he fessed up. He didn't blame anybody for it. You know what that takes? That takes a real man or a real woman. And we've gotten to where nowadays you've been taught to blame everything else. What's well, the environment? Here was a great thing. Two years ago, do you remember what they did? They blamed the weather on COVID. Everything was COVID. The plane's late. It's COVID. My car's not running. It's COVID. I made bad grades in school. It is definitely COVID. Right? And now what do we do? We always blame somebody else. 
I'll see whether or not you're a man enough to take what the Lord says about it. Notice, if you will, please, we'll pick it up. He's already gone through his beating there. They've spit on him. They've mocked him. They've made fun of him. They've belittled him. Notice what he says in verse number 33. They came to the place called Golgotha, that is to say the place of the skull, and they gave him vinegar to drink, mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. Father, would you please bless the message. Help me, if you would, to please convey the seriousness of this. It cannot be done just through the tone of my voice or through some silly illustration. I pray, Lord, that through the Holy Spirit that you might convict our hearts of the sin against you and that we might really have a meeting with you tonight, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Can I say this first in verse number 34? Would you agree with me right here while they're crucifying him that he is at the low point in his life? Look what shows up at the low point in his life. They offered him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. That's like a sedative. That's like a, uh, something to anesthetize the pain, to make things feel better. You know what sin will do? Sin will wait until you're at the lowest point in your life and it'll come along your way. You know what it'll do? It'll tempt you to do something that you shouldn't do. It'll tempt you to do what's wrong to do. You know what I know? I know there was a little girl back home. She is 14 years of age, and her mom and dad would not allow her to do certain things cosmetically that she wanted to do to keep up with some of the other rich girls in the class. And those went, that, that uh, man and woman went with their son to the famous Amos down the road up there. It's a little eating place, a little shack of an eating place on San Jose Boulevard. And that little girl went into her daddy's uh, hunting cabinet or gun cabinet there and took out a 12-gauge, got right in the foyer where they come into the entranceway of that big old house there, and she leaned over the foyer, of, uh, leaned over the barrel of that shotgun and put her thumb in the trigger housing and pulled the trigger and blew the heart right out of her chest. You say, what happened? She was down. She was depressed. Something came along and said, you know what? If you can't have what you want, now's a great time to die. I know of a boy, her daddy used to teach at the police academy all the time. He was a real good man. That boy was 17 or 16 years of age. He was in homeroom class. He went out underneath the oak tree right out past oak, uh, Wilson High School. When we get the call out there, you get a call to a school shooting. School shootings different in those days. We didn't have mass shootings. We didn't have police in the school rooms. We had teachers with paddles. Real different. We didn't have metal detectors and things that you kids have to put up. We didn't have school resource officers and those kind of things. We had principals and coaches with paddles, and we didn't have that problem that you have. And yes, it was public school, and yes, it was wicked as the devil, but we didn't have those kind of problems. They would tune you up in a heartbeat. And so we get the phone, we get the call over there, and we rush over there to scene. Here's this guy. He had taken his dad's 357, sat underneath, wrote a dear John letter because his girlfriend jilted him, and he was upset about it. He was tore out of the frame, and he was mad. And you know what he did? He got down, he got depressed, and he thought the only way out was to kill himself. He shot himself in the head right outside of her homeroom class, no further than from here to the golf cart right out the window. Oh, preacher, you got to be kidding me. That's the most ridiculous stuff. He's, he's your age. You say, what happened? His heart was broken. And you say, well, preacher, that's kind of a stupid thing. Well, it's easy for you to say unless your heart's been broken. You know what sin will do to you? Sin will tempt you to do something you shouldn't do. There was a kid that wound up back home uh, several years ago now. He wound up running with a bunch of guys and doing some things. And his mom and dad told him, you can't run with them anymore. They decided to hook him up with a robbery they were going to do at a pizza hut. And they went over there and the guy said, listen, we know the guy that's working on the inside. And what he's going to do is he's going to open the back door and put a two-by-four at the back door. We're going to run in there. We're going to rob the place. We'll be in and out in no time at all. All we need you to do is drive the car. And he said, well, you know, I'm, I'm not supposed to be hanging out with you guys and all that kind of stuff. And mom and dad just got on me. Oh, they never want you to have a good time anyway. We're just going to go pick up some cash and get some beer, man. All you got to do is drive the car. You don't have to do nothing. You don't have to carry a gun. You don't have to do anything at all. So sure enough, he left the door open back there, put the two before in the thing. The kid drives up in the car. The three of them bail out. They go inside. And man, they have one of the worst things. You Guess what happened? The guy on the inside that left the door open, he wound up getting shot. Two of the three wound up getting shot. Then they jump in the car and have a shootout with the police, and the guy winds up in prison. You say, why? Got down and depressed because mom and dad told him no. You know what sin will do? Sin will come to you just at the time where you're down and depressed and you have nothing else to lose. You know what you say? You know what? Why not drink a little vinegar mingled with gall? Why not drink a little liquor? Why not smoke a little crack? Why not smoke a little dough? Why not snort a little cocaine? Why not smoke a blunt? Why not get you uh, have a good time? I mean, everybody else does it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Everybody else is having a great time. Everybody else is having fun. Why can't I have fun? You say, what is it? Sin's deadly. Sin will kill you. Wages of sin is death. It killed Jesus Christ. Listen, I need you to listen to me. This is serious. It ain't just happening to guys. It happens to girls too. Look in the Bible right there. I mean, look in their passage right down there. I think if you'll notice it, they crucified him. And then they gamble. Don't they gamble in that passage? They cast lots for his garments. Isn't that in there? I think. I don't have to go back up and check my notes, but I believe it's a cast lots for my garment. Is that in the next thing in there? You know what sin will cause you to do? It'll cause you to take chances that you ought not take. You say, not me. Yeah, it makes you think you're stinking superhuman. It makes you think that that uh, metal and glass and mixed with bone and uh, skin, it won't affect you at all. It makes you think, oh, man, I got this piece of cake. I got off the midnight shift one night. I was a lieutenant at the time, and I was coming down US-1, and I turned off there on Greenland Road to go to our shop. We were putting all the guys out on the road and getting them ready to go, and they're getting their trucks out and their equipment out and so on and so forth. And I'm in there, and she's got them all herded up and getting them going, and I'm getting ready to go. It's a little after 7 o'clock in the morning, and I'm in a line of traffic. There's a school up there on Greenland Road. It's a two-lane road. And I, I hear one of these little motorcycles, you know, and I keep hearing him jacking it way up, you know. And I'm thinking, I'm in a Mark Poli's car, and I'm, I'm kind of looking around, and I'm kind of trying to see what's going on and all that kind of deal. And I see the guy, he'll start out this way, and he'll start to go, and then there's a car coming, and he backs off, and then he starts to go, and then he backs off like this. And I'm thinking, you fool, man, you're going to get yourself killed. And so all of a sudden he opens it up, boy, and he's going. This time he don't back off. He is wide, stinking open, boy. And I'm watching him come out there, and there's a garbage truck coming. And that garbage truck is coming right at him and closing that speed at over 100 miles an hour. And that garbage truck sees him coming at him, and he locks up that big old heavy garbage truck. And those tires begin to bark and to squeal and to moan, man, like nothing you've ever heard before. And smoke's beginning to come up out of that deal. And all of a sudden, you see that thing turn, almost slide sideways. There's a bunch of kids standing right here on the corner. How in the world he missed those kids at the bus stop, I have no idea. But he came right around that corner. But what happened was, is right as he came around, the corner the other guy was right there you know what happened to him he gambled but he lost when I got there literally seconds after it occurred I watched it happen I got there seconds after it occurred the first thing I did was I got out underneath the truck the garbage man was sitting there just shaking just trembling just just shook up he he said boss man boss man I tried to miss him I tried to miss him did I miss him did I miss him I look underneath those dual wheels on the back four wheels on either side there I look down underneath that thing and I see between those dual wheels I see the helmet of the motorcycle guy pressed up between those two wheels and I can still hear the weight of that truck pressing down and the bones are still snapping on that guy he's been over this way completely and the thing's crushing him until it mashes him like a pancake that thing was so bad that he was stuck up in those tandem wheels so bad that of course the kids were screaming everybody was hollering we get everybody out of the way I'm trying to cover him up try to throw a little emergency blanket over the tires to cover up it it was a horrible terrible looking sight like that you say what happened he took a chance rolled the dice I've done it a hundred times, man. A car's coming at me. He miscalculated. He's running about 70 and that truck's running about 35. That makes your closing speed 105 miles an hour. Uh, you're, you can be evil Knievel. You ain't going to miss that. You say, what happened to it? Killed him right there. You say, why? Makes you take chances you shouldn't take. You know what sin will do? Sin will make you think you can get away with it. Sin will make you think you can crawl in the back seat of a car with a boy and you can mess around, and, but you won't get, uh, 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 pardon me, excuse me, you won't get pregnant. I mean, everybody else does it. You know about contraceptives and protection, right? I mean, you know, all the guys do it, right? I mean, you're 16, 17, 18 years of age, you're ready to be a daddy, aren't you? I mean, if you're going to enjoy the pleasures of being together, you should take the responsibility, shouldn't you? Why not? You say, what does sin do? Oh, everybody else gets away with it. No, everybody doesn't get away with it. You know what winds up happening? The next thing you know, here she is, a Bible-believing Christian girl, and y'all got a problem on your hand. And before long, if you're not careful, you know what you'll be doing? Before you let mom and daddy know about it, you'll let the school system know about it, and they'll be handing you a little pill to try to get you to take care of your problem, and then you'll live with the guilt of killing a child... 
No, you say, what is that? I'm just giving you the underbelly of sin. Listen, we take them in. I would do anything in the world to help them. If they wind up pregnant, I'll help you. I'll help her. I understand that. That's part of what happened. But wouldn't it be better if we just didn't get there? Why don't we just say no? Who cares what Nancy Reagan, the clairvoyant, had to say about it? Why don't you just say, you know what? Wages of sin is death. Something is going to die. Sin causes the innocent to die. Jesus was innocent. Time and time and time again, the collateral damage of sin. You just saw it in Chicago. I think 17 was the final number that are dead. They didn't do anything. Because sin is indiscriminate. When it gets ready to go on a rampage, it kills anything and everything in its sight. The lion doesn't make the discrimination between whether or not it is a baby or an old person, somebody that is sick and dying, or somebody that is well. It doesn't make any difference whatsoever. When that lion is hungry, he is going to eat. And the Bible says, as a roaring lion, he seeketh whom he may devour and rip to pieces and rip to shred. You say, why? You're playing with something that will kill you graveyard dead or scar you for the rest of your life. And living with that guilt sometimes is worse than being dead. The things that you've done, the places that you've been, and the stuff that you've seen, and then all of a sudden you see somebody and it reminds you of your past, and boy, just like that, you're right back where you were again. Notice, if you will, please, that when the Bible says in verse number 35, they parting ominous in verse number 36, the Bible says, and sitting down, they watched him there. Did you know that when you sin, people like to watch? Did you ever notice that? Did you ever notice how stupid people act when they're doing things that are wrong to do and they make a big clown out of themselves to do it? It's like if I publicize it. You ever notice about, you know, they say about queers coming out of the closet. By the way, when I said last night my wife didn't out me, I didn't mean she didn't out me I was a queer. I mean she didn't tell what she knows about me from living with her for 42 years in the bonds of matrimony. Not we were together for a while and then we got married and we've been together a total of... No, I'm talking about being married that long. I, I know I don't look that old, but... <laughs> but you know what people like to do with sin? They like to watch people sin. You ever go by a car accident? <laughs> you want to see the blood and the guts? You want to see what happens? I wasn't there when it happened. I was there after it occurred. You remember the old CJ7? That's a Jeep without the top on it. Just had a roll bar up there. They were real popular down in Florida because they were kind of like a a, a souped-up dune buggy. And there was an accident. A guy had run a Corvette, a blue Corvette, as a matter of fact, had run it up a telephone pole. In those days, they weren't concrete. They were creosote poles. And he had run it up the pole, and the top end of that thing had snapped off, and those wires were hanging down there. It was bouncing back and forth. And uh, the rescue's over here, and they're trying to take care of him. And they got the, the uh, JEA, the electric company, is over here, and they're trying to turn the power off and get all this kind of stuff. And the troopers were out there, Smokey the Bear hats, and they got flares and stuff all laid out there the way they're supposed to be laid out. And they're all out there directing traffic and it's dark. And here come these kids. They're coming in from the beach. This is the story they're telling me. And the policeman's trying to get them to detour. And they were so busy looking at the guy who was being treated because he was pretty bloody and that kind of a thing that one of the kids grabs the roll bar and he stands up. But he didn't see there was a guide wire there. He was so busy looking. And you can imagine what the God wire did to him. You say, what happened? Collateral damage. We say, why? He was looking at somebody else. Sin. You ever realize that when you sin, you generally don't do it alone. You usually pull other people into it with you. And sometimes the damage you do is worse for them than it is for you. I bet you you had some things that you've done in your life that you didn't stumble up on your own. Somebody taught you how to do it. Somebody showed you how just the click of a button you can be in another world really really quick with a blue screen behind it and nobody knows it's an app mom and daddy don't know how to get on because mom and daddy are stupid and they don't know how to get in there and they won't check your phone because you'll pitch a fit like a little girl because you can't stand anybody trying to tell you what to do and so you're off in another fantasy world out there looking and doing things you shouldn't somebody taught you that you didn't pick that up on your own that's unnatural well, preacher, everybody else does it. 
One little jackrabbit back home told me as he flipped his little hair around with his little uh, ring on his finger and his blue fingernail. Somebody taught you that. Why didn't you tell him no? Why didn't you listen to your preacher when he warned you? You say, why? You'd just soon kill the spirit, wouldn't you? Grieve the spirit? You say, preacher, you're being rough on me. Sure, sin's rougher on you than I can be. I can't be hard enough on you. I'm telling you, some of you older guys, you know what you're doing? You're influencing these younger kids. You know what they do? They look up to you. Say, what do they can't wait to do? They can't wait to do whatever you're doing. Are you sure you want them to do what you're doing? You want them to talk like you talk? You want them to steal like you steal? You want them to look at what you look at? Get into the filth you've gotten involved in? Is that what you want to do? That's the legacy you want to leave behind? You're a good Christian man, are you? And you want one of these Christian girls over here? You're smoking crack. You don't deserve somebody like that. You say, what? You'll stomp all over their purity. Don't you ever give up your purity on the young man's lust. If he has to say, if you really love me, you know what you tell him? You kick him to the curb and say, get me out. And you call your preacher and say, come pick me up. And tell your preacher what he's trying to do. And then get out of the way. We preachers, we know people and some of us have skills. And those skills, they're still there. And, and at our church, we have speed bumps. Now, if you drive into our church parking lot, you might be thinking, why do you have speed bumps? <laughs> they're about six foot long and a couple of feet wide. And you might ask yourself why. But then you look around and go, where's that guy out the other day? I don't know. Last time I saw him, him and the preacher were walking out in the parking lot. And next thing I know, we have a new, we have a new speed bump. You say, what is that? The world don't need people like that. You say, what do they do? They'll stomp all over your life. And when they're done with you, they'll kick you to the curb. They don't have the ability to do what needs to be done. And that's to take care of you. Sin always causes other people to watch you. Because of Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and all that other stuff, you can see people that are committing sin in real time. They're filming themselves committing murder. They're filming themselves committing robbery. They're filming themselves doing that. And you know what? I'm here. This is a sad thing. I would hope to say, never Bible believer. No, Bible believing Christians, you're sending stuff back and forth to each other, bragging on your sin. Look what I did. Don't show anybody. Put it on TikTok so it's innocently erased. Notice in the passage, if you would please, let's move along. Look, if you will please, in verse number 38. Then were, there were two thieves crucified with him. What you going to get out of that preacher? Well, not only does sin cause watchers, but sin causes you to hang out with the wrong crowd. There's a woman back home. I will never stinking forget her. We got a call, and at the time I was a sergeant working on the far north end in the zone out there, and my guys got the call, and I went around there and said, hey, Sergeant, you may want to come around here. And we get around there, and she's acting as if she's disraught and those kind of things, and began to kind of talk to her a little bit. And she said, you know, they, they tried to rob us. I said, who tried to rob you? She said, they tried to rob me. They, they carjacked me. They took my car and they tried to run us off the road. And we go down and sure enough, we find the car there. And I noticed some diapers and some uh, baby uh, carriers, what do you call them, baby seats there. And I said, uh, where are the kids? She goes, uh, they took the kids and, and uh, we don't know where they are. Something don't feel right. So I sent Paul Bailey down the hill down there, big borrow pit like that. Man, I can hear him right now. Sarge, he said, you better come here quick. And down there, there's a little seven-month-old baby still in his diaper floating face down in that borrow pit. Three-year-old brother right there with him. He grabbed the little baby down there standing waist high in that borrow pit soaking wet, drenching red, he picks up that baby and he's doing his best to calm to breathe and he hands him off and I take the baby and they have this little three-year-old boy and he's working on him, working on him. We call life flight and we're doing everything we can and we think we get a heartbeat out of that little three-year-old. The little infant's gone, man. I mean gone. I mean gone! 
diapers sopping wet, just sitting there, and the mama just looking there, and I said, put her in the back of the car. Something ain't right here. Well, guess what happened? You said, well, preacher, you said it caused you to hang out with the wrong people. Yes, she got with a guy. You know what the guy said to her? I tell you what, I've got it figured out. And you can live high on the hog, man. Here's what we can do. You know, if we can get rid of those kids, we can get their social security check, and we can live off their social security check. All you got to do is, is let me make it look like a robbery, and you take your own kids and throw them in the borrow pit and let them drown, and then we'll be able to do that. We can get the insurance money, plus we can get the social security checks. You know what she did? She did it. She murdered her own babies because she was running around with a stinking pinhead who said, hey, you know what? What's the big deal? It's all about us being alive. She murdered two little children. I'll never forget when we got roll call the next day. That was like a knock in the head. Look, there's some things that'll take the hardest of heart. When you see that stuff, especially with kids, man, it puts a mark on you you can't never forget, man. I can remember the stench of that woman's house because of that kerosene oil burning there. I can remember her sitting there so cold and callous after drowning her own kids and lying like a Persian rug. I can remember how she didn't care when we hooked her up and she just sat there and she said, well, I don't know. I guess they're better off now. And I thought, yeah, they are better off than being with you. Can you imagine the horror of those little kids out there drowning? Mama throws them out there in the borrow pit and lets them, they can't swim. And she's standing there watching them while they drowned. Can you imagine that? It was like, see what happened? She got running with the wrong crowd, made her do things you would never even think about. Oh, preacher, you're making it up. Go look it up. I ain't making none of it up. If anything, I'm shading the story to keep you from some of the horrors of it. We get out there for roll call the next day. We're on the fourth watch there and we get ready for roll call and we're all standing there. Everybody's somber, man. Everybody's just somber. Just, it's, just, it's just like a shockwave, man. I mean, you thought you've seen it all. You've seen how bad things can really get and how terrible things are. It's just somber. And the lieutenant gets up and he does a roll call and he gives everybody the stuff they're supposed to do. And he says, okay, break ranks. And the phone rings in the office. And I go over there and I answer the phone like that. It's the hospital. And I said, guys, stand by just a minute. It's the hospital. I wanted to check on it. And here's Paul Bailey. He's standing there. He's the one that's been pumping and blowing and pumping and blowing. I remember that kid throwing up in his mouth. You know, the guys y'all make fun of? The ones that you laugh about? The ones that write you a ticket? Because they got you in a little speed trap? How juvenile. That guy, he's blowing on that little baby and blowing that little baby and throws up in his mouth. He spits like that and he goes back to breathing for that baby. He took that little baby, man. You would have thought he was a combat vet or something, man. He's running over there, man. He's holding that little baby like he's holding the most precious thing in the world and he hands that little baby to that nurse. That nurse has got that helmet on and she's getting ready to go and they're spinning it up, man, and she's working on that kid and they got the mask on him and stuff and we're all standing there and the sand and the stuff's flying around and the stuff and we're looking like that and I got my hand on Paul he is soaking wet shaking like a dog pooping a peach seat man I mean he's just sitting there trembling I said are you going to be okay he said I'm going to be okay you think the kid's going to make it you think the kid's going to make it Sarge you think he's going to make it I said I think he's got a good chance Paul you done good tonight I said now go take a shower he said what did he have to do give him the rest of the night off no he had to go back to work the next night that phone rang Pick up the telephone. I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. We're the ones. Yes, sir. That's my guys. Yes, sir. He's standing right here. How's he doing? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. I hung up the phone and I looked over at Paul. Big old tears just began pouring down his face. He said, he didn't make it, did he? I said, no, he didn't make it. You say, what happened? She got running with the wrong crowd and went further than she ever thought she would go. You say, why? Sin is a killer. It wants to destroy your life. You say, what happened to her? She's still sitting in prison. We charged her with first degree murder. Oh, isn't that terrible? The mean old police charged her with premeditated murder because that's what she did because her boyfriend said, hey, if you'll kill your kids, we can be together. And she did it. We 
We charged him with an accessory. He only got 25 years. But she got for the rest of her life the idea of sitting in a stinking steel cage and remembering the damage she did to two little boys who died as collateral damage because of her sin. That's gone in the passage. Look, if you will, at verses 39 and 40. I hope you're staying with me. Sin will cause you to mock and belittle and make fun of things you shouldn't make fun of. Look at 39. And they passed by, reviled him, and wagging their heads, saying, If thou destroyest the temple and builds it in three days, save thyself. Tries to tell him to come down in verse number 40. Mocks him in verse number 41. Tries to tell him to come down in verse number 42. Begins to continue, or continues to mock him in verse number 43. You know what sin will wind up doing to you? Sin will wind up making you mock, belittle, and make fun of and think, it ain't going to ever catch me. I was in charge of a gang unit back there a bajillion years ago. Back then they called it a juvenile intervention team. That's a nice way of saying we don't have gangs. We have problems with juveniles. We had full-blown, sign-throwing, tattoo-wearing, machine-gun-carrying gangs. But to the public, you've got to make it a juvenile intervention team. We're intervening. and I had all SWAT guys under me. Highly motivated guys. I mean, just guys that were really good. They got down there and mixed it up with them and found the bad guys. I mean, they were good. And they brought in, we had a bunch of kids going around and they were, uh, back in those days, they called it boosting, stealing radios and stuff. And that was part of the way they got in. And they caught up this girl. She's 14 years old. She's got to be, my goodness, that girl's got to be 40-something now if she's still alive. They brought her in and they're talking to her and she admits they caught her with a bunch of radios and different things like that. And They brought her in and so they said, hey, Captain, you want to come in here and talk to this girl? And I said, yeah, I'd like to just talk to her for a minute. I walked in there. She was nondescript. I mean, she wasn't ugly. She wasn't pretty. She just kind of, I don't know, just sort of plain. Foul mouth, man, I mean, you talk about... I'm like, hey, I'm not really impressed with all the cussing. I mean, do you have any more vocabulary that you can use while we talk? I... You know, kind of pretty much heard it by now. I've heard it all. I don't really need to hear all that kind of stuff. And I said, I do want to ask you a couple questions. Yeah. What you want? I said, I'd just like to know, how'd you get in the gang? And number two, I want to know why you got in the gang. She said, well, nobody ever really loved me and nobody really cared about me. And they're like my family. I said, man, you got a messed up family tree. I said, that's your family? She goes, yeah, they love me. I said, they love you? She said, they do. I said, they're letting you take the fall for these radios? She goes, I would do anything for them. I said, okay, second question. Yeah, how did you get in the gang? I said, I can tell from looking at your face, you don't have any scars or busted teeth. I know you didn't get blessed in. That means you get hit in the face with a brick. I said, that means there's only two other ways that you got in at 14 years of age that you got into this gang. And there's only two more ways that you got into that gang. I know what the rights are. I know how it is you get in that gang. And so there's only two more ways. You either got jumped in or you got sexed in. And I said, I kind of wonder whether or not, because as little as you are, they would have broken some bones and stuff. And I said, I don't see a lot of bruises and stuff on you. So I'm sort of suspecting. And she said... The last one. I said, okay. How many? She said, why do you ask me that? I said, well, you said they love you. I said, looks to me like they used you. And you were willing to give yourself, but they weren't willing to do anything but take. You call that a family? At 14 years of age, that girl had been with every guy that was in that that, uh, gang so that she should get in the gang. Oh, preacher, I don't believe stuff like that. You need to get your head out of the sand. So, oh, I'd, I, I would never do that. You know what's the odd thing about this girl? She actually came from a good home. Never would admit that she had ever trusted Jesus Christ, but she was raised right. Something went bad wrong. I can tell you what went wrong. You say, well, she got dropped on her head. It was the environment. Uh, she got with the wrong crowd. She got, no, sin crept in and took her further than she ever thought she would go. You know, I, I guess you guys would probably think that was cool. How'd you like that to be your sister? How'd you like that to be your close friend or your mother and see them there with all the guys? I mean, you know, hey, she's one of us. That's the kind of girl you want to take home to mama? That's the kind of girl you want to marry? 
while she's in your family, why don't you bring her to Christmas dinner? You say, what is it? You mock, you belittle. I'll never get caught. I caught a guy one time. I was a detective in a special unit for quite some time there, and we had a guy that was a, a serial uh, individual that was going around committing a whole bunch of horrible things in the middle of the night and doing some really, really terrible stuff. And, I mean, <laughs> I, I, it, it took a while, but we finally got him, got him caught wound up getting him sentenced and they went light on him and he wound up getting back out and I'm watching the method of operation on some things and I'm like I wonder if that guy's out of jail because that's just exactly what he would do and I go find out he had just got out of prison and it took me about six or eight weeks but I wound up getting him again and I got him in the box and I'm sitting there talking to him and after he tells me everything and all the lurid details of what he did and stuff before I got ready to go I said let me ask you a question I said, you went and spent a few years in prison and you're on permanent parole now and you're on all kind of different kind of offenders list. I said, what are you doing? Why don't you come back out and start doing the same thing again? He said, because I never thought anybody would catch me. I'm too good at it, he said. You know what sin will do? It'll give you a false sense of security. It'll make you think it'll never get me. Are you looking in that passage right there? You know what happens to Jesus? He's up there on the cross, and I think it says something about the ninth hour. Is that what it says, where darkness comes upon? Is that was it ninth hour? Oh, it's the sixth hour. I had my, my nine upside down. It's the sixth hour. Is that it? Sixth unto the ninth. Is that right? Yes, sixth hour. Okay, thank you. Sixth hour and darkness. Is that what it says? You know what sin will do? It'll blind you. It'll completely bind you to whatever the repercussions of the sin is. You don't even think about it. I've seen people that do things. They never think about it. All they're doing is moving paper. All they're doing is things that are just illegal. It's just paper. It's just money. It's just a paper trail. It's just credit cards. It's just checks. It's just writing checks. It's, a, it's really, a, you know, the victimless crime. And they never even pause to think about, hey, what happens if you get caught? You go to prison for stuff like that. But sin will completely blind you to that. You can get so caught up in what you're doing, you lose your sense of ability to recognize, you know what, this is wrong. There was a guy working a paper company years ago up in, uh, just across the, uh, the line up there in Georgia, and he would go to work on the midnight shift, and as soon as he slipped out, his wife would slip out, and she'd go down off of Main Street to a bar and meet her boyfriend. And they'd do what boyfriends and girlfriends do and they're not supposed to be doing and that kind of a thing and somebody called her, her friend called her and said, hey listen man, your husband's getting off work, he's sick, he's going home he doesn't feel good so he's headed home so if you're out you better get to the house and she said goodbye to her boyfriend and she jumped in her car as a T-top Camaro um, and she took off Pont I think Pontiac Firebird, it's a T-top though the thing you have the little sunroofs on the side there and so she took off running down the road there and jumped in her car, man, and oh my goodness, what am I going to do? And he doesn't live, doesn't work far from here. I got to get home and I got to play, you know, like I'm asleep and so on and so forth. I'm going to get caught. And she goes flying out and tearing out down Main Street. And all of a sudden she hits something in the middle of the road. And, and so she doesn't realize what it is or what's going on. What she did was there's an old drunk. Everybody that worked up there knew where that old drunk was. And he'd tend to wander out in the road, you know, sometimes and walk around. We'd get him every now and then, hook him up and put him in detox and that kind of thing. Bad, bad problem with drinking and stuff. He's walking out in the middle of the road. That front end of that car caught him just below the waist right here and clipped his legs off here and flipped the torso up. And he landed right there in the front of her car. And she pulled off the side of the road on Gun Club Road. I'll never forget it. She grabbed the door like this, grabbed him by the hair, pulled him out, slammed the door shut, put her handprint right there, and then turned around, got in the car, drove down to the Minute Market, the stop and rob there. And uh, she called the police and she said, I think I hit a deer. And so one of my guys got there and he called me and he says, I think you need to come up here. I said, okay. So I get up there and he said, hey, can I show you something? Now... This is police humor, and you're not going to appreciate it at all, and you're going to think bad of policemen and that kind of a deal, but you already do, so it is what it is. He, he said, uh, you know, Sarge, she said she hit a, a deer, and I said, that's what she said. And he goes, there's a lot of blood, and I said, yeah, I can see that. It's all over her car and everything. And he goes, let me show you something. And he raised the hatchback of that little T-top right there, and he said, that's the funniest-looking deer leg I've ever seen. Is <laughs> the guy's arm. And then he closed it down right quick. And I said, ma'am, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Now we got traffic homicide up there and we got all the other big boys up there and stuff like that. I said, you hit what? Well, you know how things wind up going. 
Next thing you know, her husband's coming home from the paper company. He pulls in his pickup truck there with all the blue lights going on because he recognized his car. He said, something happened to my wife. Something's going on with my wife. Where's my wife? Is my wife okay? Did she get hurt? Is something wrong? She's sitting in the back seat of the car. And I said, sir, um, these boys over here want to talk to you. They went just a, less than a quarter of a mile down the road to Gun Club Road, and there's what's left of the remaining of the guy that she ran over. You say, what happened? She never saw him. You say, why? Sin will blind you. You get blind spots when you sin. You think, you know what? It'll never happen. You say, it's darkness from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. You say, preacher, you got to be kidding me. Oh, no. You know what they did with the Lord when they were making fun of him and mocking him? They blindfolded him. The Lord's the only one that can see in that kind of darkness. Well, let's go to the end of the passage here and see if we can't put a bow on this thing. Doesn't it say something in there that the Lord uh, uh, cries out and said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know what sin will do when it's finished with you? It'll forsake you and leave you out there all by yourself to pay the price for what it did to you. There's a girl, she's 16 years old, I think. 15 maybe, 16. Rains High School. She'd gotten pregnant. She kept coming to school. In those days, they wore an ace bandage to try to hold things in. She wasn't big as a minute. Looked like she swallowed a pumpkin seed. I don't really know that her mom and dad didn't know. But if they did, they never said anything about it. She went to school one day and contractions began to happen. And there at the school in the restroom, she gave birth to the baby. Don't know if she induced it. Don't really know what happened. As soon as the baby came out, while the umbilical cord was still attached... She took that baby by the nap of the neck and held it under the toilet water until the baby drowned it. After that was over with, she knew enough to clip the umbilical cord, but then she passed out after going to the dumpster with the afterbirth and the baby in the bag. Hope I'm not being too graphic for you. Just trying to tell you what sin does for you. She's your age. put the baby in the dumpster and kicked it aside like it was just trash. Passed out. Well, we get there. It doesn't take really long to find the body of what's going on there. The flies are already gathering and stuff like that. And we get that. And the ME's, the medical examiner's there. And they're taking the baby and doing all the stuff they have to do. I remember that little girl. She's laying up there in rescue. I'll never forget. Her left hand is on the gurney right there. And there's a bracelet on it called handcuffs. And it's handcuffed to the bed. I have never seen a more scared, frightened, forlorn, forsaken look on a woman's face in all my life. She's there all by herself. And I'm just looking at her. Red lights are going, white lights are going, blue lights are going, fire engines are there, rescue is there, all kind of stuff. Police cars are all uh, Here come the big boys. Homicide showed up and that kind of a deal, man. I mean, man, it looks like a parade. There's so many things going on. I can see those lights flickering and flashing as the sun begins to set. And she's in there and they got the back door open and they're trying to work on her and trying to get her stabilized and stuff like that. And not a single person even talked to her just completely forsaken I felt sorry for her I have no idea whatever happened to her I do know this I know they charged her I know that she wound up going to jail because she was a juvenile that she didn't get a lot of time but I know this she if she's still alive she has to live with that she's got to be close to 50 now that's how long ago that was Why do I remember that? Because it reminds me of what sin does to you. Can I tell you that that's what your sin did to Jesus Christ? And if you haven't trusted Him as your personal Savior, you are an absolute fool. You've lost your mind. You're worse than any dope fiend or crackhead I've ever met in my life that doesn't have enough sense that you think you can pay for your own sin. Sin will devour you, and when it's done with you, it'll put you in hell and laugh the whole way, pull you out of hell, have you stand in front of God for judgment, and then put you in the lake of fire and watch you burn for all eternity till God dies. And you, the big guy, you can take it. Tough guy. I can handle it. 
you can handle it. You get in prison and all of a sudden things begin to happen to you and stuff and you're thinking, oh God, oh God, oh God. He's a boy about your age. He just turned 18 years of age. He decided to go do a stop and rob and he pulled into the little minute market right after Vietnam. So it would have been 70, oh, six, I guess, or so, right along in there, 76, 77, Phillips Highway. He walked in a little bitty Vietnamese, all of us knew him. We'd go in there and get coffee on the midnight shift and stuff. A little Vietnamese guy behind the counter there was from uh, over in Vietnam. He came over here, completely green carded the whole nine yards. He wasn't an illegal alien, nothing like that. A real nice guy. Couldn't speak hardly any English at all. Sounded like a mouthful of marbles when you talk to him and stuff. He's always, like that, all the time. And get the call and go around there and slide up into the parking lot, walk inside the door, ding, the bell goes. <laughs> he walk in there and he's looking and there he is, Hop Singh. He's laying on the floor, little tiny hole, right, literally, right between his eyebrows. And he put out a description of some things. We looked at a couple of videos there and found the guy walking down the street there, 18 years of age. Hook him up and bring him in sit down with him in the box and start talking to him. It's not long before he says, well, I didn't, I didn't know he had a gun and I didn't intend to kill him and I, I was just, you know, I was just going in there because I needed some money and I was just, and I was just, okay, well, then, well, why'd you shoot him? Well, he pulled out a gun. He did. The guy thought that the kid was serious. He was going to shoot the kid, so the kid shot him. Lucky shot, you know, one of them and happened to shoot him and kill him. I remember talking to that kid after the homicide got done with him and all that other kind of stuff. And I went in there, I sat down with him. I said, I want to ask you just a couple questions if I could. He said, yes, sir. And I said, have you ever trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? He said, what kind of question is that? I said, I'm just curious. I'm just wondering how you at your age could get in the mess you're in right now. Just really curious. He said, you know, I used to go to youth camp. He said, oh, you're just telling me a story. No, I'm telling you the truth. He said, I was at youth camp and I asked the Lord to save me. And I said, okay, well, good. I said, you know, he'll forgive you, don't you? He said, do you think he can forgive me of what I did? And I said, sure, he can forgive you. I said, all we have to do is pray and ask him to forgive you. I said, if you're saved, you don't have to ask him to save you. I said, but you have to ask him to forgive you. And he got down there, he bawled up like a little baby down in sort of an infantile fetal position there. And he prayed and he bawled and he squalled and he prayed some more and he bawled and he squalled and snot was going all over the place. And he got up and man, he's wiping his eyes and and he said, can I go home now? I said, yes, sir, you can go to your new home. It's called Rayford Prison. You'll be there for 25 years to life because you committed a felony with a firearm. You get a minimum of 25 years before you're eligible for parole. You say, how can you be that hard? Why would you say I was being hard? He took a man's life. You see what sin does to you? Sin makes you have to pay the consequences for yourself. You have a Savior in front of you right now. You know what He said? I'll take your sin for you. Why would you pay for it if He took it for you? Why wouldn't you get saved and say, Lord, I don't want to pay the price for me going to hell and burning forever. The Lord said, I did it for you. Why don't you let me pay it? You say, what would you tell Him? I said, let me tell you this now, young man. I said, if you're saved, the Lord said He'd never leave you and He'd never forsake you. And I said, I'll tell you what He will do. He'll go into prison with you. And he'll help you, and you're going to need it when you go to prison. 18 years old, I mean fresh as a stinking daisy and wet behind the ears. I can't even imagine what happened to that boy when he went to prison. But you know what I know? He didn't have to go. But it was too late to ask for mercy. He had already let sin grab a hold of him, and he's out there by himself, nothing else. And he comes in there, and the guy pulls out a gun, and before he even thought, he takes about five pounds of pressure, maybe six on that particular gun, and pops that fella, and luckily hits him in the head and drops him right there, and he's ruined 25 years, even if he gets out on parole. 25 years in a cage. You want to keep playing with sin? I could tell stories all night. I'm not going to. I could tell you stories all night long of people that keep doing this and doing this and doing this. You say, why? Because of sin. Because of sin. Because of sin. It's not the environment. It's not how they were raised. It's not a bad mama and a bad daddy and I have this problem and I have that problem and so on and so forth. No, it's sin. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God. But the gift of God. 
that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Savior. You say, what do I have to do to get saved? If you're lost, you know what you have to do? You have to come down here and you have to say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. That's not hard to do, is it? Lord, I'm believing on you to save me. I don't want to go to hell and pay for my sins. I'm confessing you as my Savior. Well, preacher, I have to confess my sins. <coughs> you confess Jesus Christ to get saved. We'll talk about confession of your sins later on. If you're saved, I'm going to ask you a question. When's the last time you applied 1 John 1, 9 to your life? No wonder you're so out of fellowship. No wonder why you came to youth camp and you've already done things the first three days of youth camp that only hoodlums do. What a bunch of wickedness. Come to a church youth camp and why'd you do what you did? I'll tell you why. You're out of fellowship with God. Sure as I'm standing here, you are. That's why your butt's on your shoulder right now and you're mad because Brother Joe came and chewed us out. Sounded like a drill instructor out here getting on to us. Don't know why. Don't turn that on him. Why'd you do what you did? Why do you always turn it on the person that got on to you? Well, my mom and daddy got on to me. Well, what did you do? Don't blame mama and daddy. That's sin that caused you to do that. Blame the devil. Take the responsibility and ask God to forgive you. The quickest way to get out of it is to detour by blaming somebody else. I know it's youth camp and you know what? I've always had an ability to be able to talk straighter to kids than adults because most of adults would have got up and walked out by now. Because they get mad because how dare him talk to me like that. I'm getting old enough now, I don't care. I'm an old man now, so it's like, I, I don't be mad, I don't care. Like, what are you going to do? Like, cut my paycheck? But I can tell you this. You kids have the greatest opportunity of any kids in the United States of America. You've got Bible-believing preachers that believe that book and they're doing their best to try to help you, but they can only help you so far. And you can't ride their coattail from now on. You know what you have to be willing to do? You have to be willing to say, Lord, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Lord, it's me. I messed up. Lord, will you help me? I've never seen the Lord not help you if you ask for it. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I'm going to ask you a question tonight. I'm going to ask you what I asked that boy in the box. I'm going to ask you whether or not you're saved. Is there a time in your life where you've asked Jesus Christ to save you? If not, why not tonight? If not, why not tonight? If you are saved... If you want to continue in your sin, here's what I do know. I know this for an absolute fact. Hear me now. No one can stop you. They can chain you up. They can put you in a room. They can put you in solitary confinement. They can put you in a straitjacket. But they can only prevent the inevitable for so long. If you want to sin, you can continue to sin. But trust me when I tell you, the wages for, of sin is death. It will eventually catch up with you. Do not take the Lord's mercy and long-suffering as Him condoning your foolishness. I don't know when that cup runs out, but it will run out. Now while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I'm going to ask you a question. Not for these that are at the altar. I'm going to ask you a question. Listen to me now. Is there a time in your life where you ask Jesus Christ to save you? Would you be honest with me tonight? Would you say, Preacher, I really don't know if I'm saved or not. But I'll be honest with you, Preacher. I don't want to go to hell. Would you just lift your hand up? Would you just raise your hand? I see him. I see him. Anybody else? All right, you can put your hands down. Now listen to me. You literally are having an opportunity right now to step out of hell and step into heaven by trusting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. If you'll grab a hold of your pastor, or you'll grab a hold of your youth director, you'll grab a hold of your youth pastor, whoever brought you here, or grab me. I can take a Bible and in a short period of time, I can show you how to be saved. So you don't have to pay for your own sins. Now, if you'd like to do that, all you have to do, I'm not going to embarrass you, I'm not going to let everybody know what's going on, but the four of you that raised your hands, if you'll have the courage after we're finished to grab an adult, we'll take a Bible and we can show you how to be saved. Not going to force you. 
not going to beg you, not going to plead with you, but I'm going to tell you it would be the greatest decision you've ever made. You're not here by happenstance. Now, as she plays the uh, invitation hymn here, would you consider this? These kids have come up here to pray and to talk to the Lord about whatever it is they're talking to the Lord about. Those of you that want to be saved, would you consider coming up here? Would you consider coming up here? Let me grab a couple of men to talk to you. How about it, boys? Would you come? Would you come? Nobody's looking around. Nobody's going to make fun of you. Would you come? Father, I pray you give these the wherewithal to be able to come and to at least find somebody here that's an adult that's saved and knows they need to trust Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And pray, Lord, that you'll continue to lay the conviction upon their heart and settle that tonight before the night is over with. Pray, Heavenly Father, you'll take the message and take all the thrills and the spills out of it and just drive the message home that we understand that the wages of sin is more than we want to pay. Help us to recognize how grateful we need to be to you for paying the price for us to help us to escape that. God, would you please also remind those of us that are saved that we need to get back in fellowship with you to keep us from doing the things that we've been doing that are wrong to do. Pray these things, Heavenly Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.